Listen, let's find our Bibles. Let's open them to Matthew 21, please. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32 will be today. This is an amazing text of Scripture. We're going to be looking at it today briefly. We'll be back into this text, uh, this section of Matthew for the next few weeks. Where we are in the book of Matthew, just a little reminder, this is very close to the, to the passion of Christ. In the gospel of Matthew, we're only a few days away from His crucifixion and subsequent resurrection and, and then ascension. This is amazing material that we're coming into, all the Word of God reminding us of who our Lord Jesus is. And Matthew's whole intent is to present Jesus as the Messiah, the one that you can trust, the one that you can give your life to. And here in this section of Matthew, there's been some controversy brewing, and now it's all coming to the forefront where the religious leaders are sort of pinning Jesus to the question of where are you getting the authority to say these things and do these things? And and it's, it's a heated moment, and Jesus responds to their question by saying, well, I'll answer that question if you answer a question I have for you. And he says, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And of course, this startled them because they knew if they were to admit that John's baptism was something of heaven, uh, then uh, they would be siding with even Jesus, and so they didn't want to do that. And if they say that it was from men, they would be sort of casting doubt into the crowd that had believed John to be a prophet who had come setting the path for the Messiah to come. And so they decide, you remember last week where we were, Pastor Danny uh, you remember last week where uh, they said, we, we, don't, we don't have an answer for you. So Jesus said, then I'm not going to answer your question too. So it's a little bit of a standoff. But Jesus doesn't really completely keep the issue at bay. He, he's actually going to answer their question by telling three stories. And the first story we're going to look at today, it's a very brief story. And I think it's timely. Maybe we've got children dedication today. And today we're going to look at problem kids, Okay. That's, that's in the text. Did you know that? Okay, follow along here as I read. So Jesus answers and he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. But the father went to the other son and said, to the, same, said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first The religious leaders replied. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. All right, this is an amazing little section, and that's why you know why I said this is about problem kids, because there are two kids here that we need to discuss. And basically, I want you to key in on the phrase, first of all, Jesus asked the question, which of the two did what the Father wanted? This is about what God wants. This is about what God in heaven wants for his people. That's part of what this parable is about. And then it's also about who really gets into the kingdom of heaven. How do you get access? How do you get entrance into the kingdom of heaven? And so I'm going to build my sermon really quickly this morning around this theme of entrance into the kingdom. And what I want to show you today is that entrance into the kingdom of God, there's there's something that it isn't about, there's something that it is about, and there's a way that it comes about. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you might want to just 
first look at this big idea that comes out of verses 28 through 31, that entrance to the kingdom or entrance into the kingdom of God isn't based on what you might think. Now, this is where the story that Jesus is telling sort of has a, a strange twist to it. Because in this story, we learn that just by saying no to God doesn't necessarily keep you out of the kingdom. Let's talk about the people that say no. If you're taking notes, you might want to just write this down, that you might think that saying no to God will keep you out. Face it, when Jesus told this story, he's illustrating the kind of person who says with their life, and maybe all through their life, responding to God, no. A fundamental no to God and the things that he's asking of us. And there are people all over like this. In fact, the Bible tells us we're kind of born with a default of saying no to God. We're, that's the quickest way we go. If God asks us to do something, default, we say no. That's our human nature. The Bible says that there is no one that seeks after God, nobody that, that loves God in their hearts. Naturally, this is something that God must do in our lives. He must transform us. And so if you ask somebody, and we've had these experiences, you know, invite someone to church. Oftentimes when you invite someone to church, they'll maybe politely say, no, no thanks. No, not for me. Or I have a Bible. Would you like to read it? Uh, you know, no thanks. People say no a lot to God. There are people like this that come in all shapes and sizes, all kinds of nationalities. They usually are characterized by living in some way opposed to God. Now, they might be good people in many other ways in their lives, but basically they've learned how to say no to God. But this parable actually tells us that by saying no doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have access to the kingdom of God. There's also a group of people here, you might think, that saying yes to God will get you in. Saying yes to God. There are a lot of people that say yes to God. They say yes to God with the moral choices that they make. They say yes to God by becoming religious people. There are people maybe sitting here in this church today who are, in a sense, saying yes to God. I mean, they know that God would like them to be in church. And so there are religious people that visit churches like ours that are in churches all over this community. There are people in other religious faiths that think that they're saying yes to God because they're religious. Or maybe there's a moral code that they're living by. Or they just live by the golden rule. Or they just try to be a nice person. And those are all ways that people look at saying yes to God. And, and in these people's homes, you might find baptismal certificates. You might find a church membership card. Uh, you might find materials that point to the fact that they've been a part of some church in their past or maybe even in the present experience. And the point I'm making is this parable is a little shocking because if either of these is the way you think, according to Jesus, you might want to think again. And that's the strange part of this parable. Now, I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. The strange twist in the story is that the one who said no actually went and did what the Father wanted. This is a picture of what God wants in our lives. And the one who said yes to the Father sat around and didn't do what he was asked. The Jewish leaders were not expecting to hear these two scenarios. What Je Jesus was building up to is this. Listen, it isn't whether you said no or even yes to God that matters most to him. What matters most to God is what you actually do. It's not saying you're going to obey God that matters to God. What matters to God is you actually do what he tells you to do. That's what Jesus is saying is when we look at the religious leaders, he's saying, look, you guys have a posture of saying a lot of religious things. You know the prayers, you know the Shema, you know all the things that, that are supposed to be said in religious settings. You know the language, you wear the clothes, 
you have the moral lifestyle, but just because you're saying yes to God doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have access to God. In fact, Jesus goes so far, look at verse 30, th- 31, he says the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Now this would have been so shocking and so uh, incredibly uh, um, embarrassing for them and outrageous for them to hear. I mean, what if Jesus said to you, and you know, maybe you've made some claims in your life, I believe in God. I, you know, I look at the creation and God exists and I want to be a good person with my life. And you've said all these things in your hearts. And what if God, what if you heard the voice of God say to you that actually the people that you assume are the scum of the earth, people put them in whatever category, Jesus just happened to pick two categories of what the Jewish people thought were the scum of the earth. Tax collectors, if you work for the IRS, we love you, there's no issue here. But the Jewish people hated tax collectors because they sided with a, a Roman government, a government that was sort of a, you know, had, had come in and patriated the, the, the land of Israel and everyone had to give tribute to Rome and, and, every, and Jewish people that occupied that position were hated, tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people and uh, people of an immoral stand. And any immorality, any sniff of immorality, uh, didn't matter what you thought, didn't matter what you did that nobody found out about, but any outward sense of immorality was, was to be refused and rejected in, in every way. But the dividing line, according to Jesus, listen, isn't what you say, it's what you do. It isn't what we say that makes us who we are, it's, it's actually what we do that proves who we really are. Now, we've been through this in Matthew already. It shows up in other places. Remember Matthew 7:21? We'll put it on the screen. Jesus said, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." See that? And then over in Matthew 12:50, "For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother." And Jesus said in a parallel passage, the Gospel of Luke records, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? So here again, we're looking at doing versus talking. Now what we're, what we're not defining here, listen, if you're listening, say amen. amen. Okay, what we're not defining is the means of our salvation. We're defining the proof of our salvation. Did you get that? Jesus is not saying that the means to our salvation is by doing good works or by living a certain way. That's not the means. We're not saved by our works. What he is saying is that we are proven to be followers of him when our lives show transformation. The Apostle John wrote in his letters, 1 John 3.10. Let's read it out loud together. We'll put it on the screen there. Ready? Here we go. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, in John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, there's a test going on there. And the test is, if you're going to claim to follow Christ, the proof of that is found in that you love God and that you love others and that you keep his commands. Those are the tests of 1 John. And I just pointed out to you because this is all through the Scripture. The means of our justification is faith alone, belief alone. But the proof of our justification is that our lives are transformed. We actually do what pleases the Father. 
So that's what entrance to the kingdom isn't about. It isn't about the words we say, whether yes or no. It's about doing what pleases the Father. What is it actually that brings entrance to the kingdom of God? Let's move to that, verse 32b. Entrance into the kingdom of God is based solely on repentance and faith. This is what it is about. Say those two words with me, repentance and faith. In speaking about their observation of John, the religious leaders, Jesus points out that those religious leaders that even all that they had heard, even after all they had heard and saw, look at the end of verse 32, they did not repent and believe. This is the message of the New Testament. Now listen, if you're taking notes, people who habitually say no to God, are you listening? Listen. People who habitually say no to God are no different from people who habitually say yes to God but never do what God wants. No difference. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. Whether you say no or yes, what really matters to God is what you do. That's why I tell you that this parable is about problem kids. If you're a parent, let's just do a little survey here. If you're a parent, you walk into your kid's room and you say, uh, hey, I'm going to be going to work today, but I need you to do something for me today. And you tell them what you need them to do, and it's something age-appropriate, something that they can do. And they look back up at you and they say, no, I will not. How do you feel in that moment about your child? That's a little frustrating moment. However, then you walk out of the room and you walk into your other child's room and you say, look, I'm going to go to work today and I need this to be done. And you don't necessarily say, I went to your brother, but he said he wouldn't. You just say, would you go do it? And that person, that Son says, yes, sir, I will. Now, which one do you feel sort of indentured favored to? The one that said, I will not, or the one that says, I will do it? Well, you're automatically favored toward the one who said they would do it. They're both your kids, but they're problem kids because if you dig down deep, first of all, the first son is a rebel. The first son has declared, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me, I'm not going to do it. But the second son the one that said, I will, sir, is deceitful. Because as soon as you leave, he's back to playing video games. <laughs> and he doesn't care. He has no thought. He may be in, a, in the moment thought, yeah, okay, sure. But he had no desire, no substance to carry it out. Okay. I know our time is, is leaking away here. But it's important to realize that this this is a great picture if you're taking notes. Both sons here are portraits of our depravity. Because there are some people that just shake their fists at God, and this, is their, this is, shows their depravity. I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to do what He tells me to do. So I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to choose the morality I want to live. Choose. I'm going to do with my money what I want. I'm going to live my life the way I want. This is the way a lot of people live. This is, this is our depravity. We shake our fist at God. We're open and we're loud about it. Some people are. But some people, uh-uh, they're not open and loud. They're not shaking their fist at God necessarily. They're, they're quietly rebelling against God. They're saying the right words. They're saying, yeah, God, that sounds good. Oh, uh, yeah, I should be a good person. I'm going to be a moral person. I'm going to choose well. I'm going to try to do the good things I can do in my life. I'm even going to show up at church from time to time. I'm going to say, God, you're the creator of this world. I believe you are. But as far as you moving the furniture around in my life, forget it. I'm going to go back to my video games. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's, the, that's, a quiet, that's a quiet rebellion. That's sort of an internal rebellion. 
And by the way, Jesus is pinning that kind of rebellion on religious people. Did you hear me say that? Religious people, people that have religion in their life. And by the way, if that's all of us, that's all of us because you're sitting in church today. Now, maybe you came here for a dedication, but you're here. So watch out. Someone might call you religious when you leave here today. I'm being a little facetious, but I'm saying that the words that Jesus said here that are so striking and so powerful are, are pointed right at religious people. Now, I want to make a clear distinction. It's true that legitimate Christ-loving followers can sometimes be heavier on our words than we are with our lives, right? Anyone agree with that? I mean, I, I'm a, you know, like I'm a preacher. I mean, I, that's part of my vocation. I talk a lot. But there are times that my, my, the substance of my life doesn't really add up to the talk of my life. But... I will say that if you look at my life and drill down as deep as you want, you can talk to my family, you can come live with me if you want. <laughs> I'm not sure I should say that. You'll have to check with my wife first. But if you want to just check out my life, I believe you will see in my life a sincere desire to follow Christ and do what the Father wants. Am I perfect? No. Am, am I sometimes weightier on words? Yes. So this happens to people that are truly legitimate followers of Christ, but th this is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look... There are people in the world that shake their fist at me. They say no, but my grace spills over on their lives and there's a change that happens in their life. Meanwhile, there are people that have all the right words, talk, 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 but they have no substance in their life because my life has never invaded their lives. They've never repented and believed. This is the beauty of the gospel that anyone, no matter how rebellious or deceitful, can repent and follow Jesus. I love that. Now, the invitation is given sort of side-handedly here. I think Jesus is saying, look, which brings us to the last thing. We've got to wrap this up. The last thing here is, is entrance into the kingdom of God should be unmistakably clear and compelling. In other words, there shouldn't be a question mark. It shouldn't be defined by just what people say. There should be a clear picture. And John the Baptist is Jesus' illustration to what this looks like. Because, notice he says... For John, look at verse 32, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. He came to show you the way and he spoke to you about the way, but you chose not to believe him. As I look at my notes, what I write down here is that the gospel of the kingdom should be un unmistakably clear and compelling by the words of those who are entering, yes, we call this, if you're taking notes, we call this our testimony. When was the last time you shared with anybody what Jesus has done in your life? You say, oh, I've never done that. Why not? Because it should be compelling and clear to the people that are around us. My neighbors should hear from me as a Christ follower what it means to enter the kingdom of God. And by God's grace, one by one, there's been opportunity. Oh, there's a lot of seed planting. There's a lot of love and character and things that we share so that we have a voice to be heard. Because a lot of times when people hear us coming with words, we say, stop, because your life is too loud and I don't like it. What I mean by that is sometimes we're telling people about the gospel, but our lives are a contradiction to the gospel that we're saying to them. 
They don't feel loved. They don't feel cared for. They don't feel accepted. And so there's a lot of hard work with the gospel is getting to know people and loving them no matter where they're coming from. And there's, there's a lot of people in my life that are coming from a lot of different places. And I'm saying, God, give me grace to speak to them the language of faith so that they can know. When was the last time you shared your testimony? Here's a little homework assignment for you this week. Share what Jesus has done in your life just a little bit with somebody this week. Hopefully with somebody that you've been cultivating with, someone that you've been encouraging by your lifestyle. You've been loving on them. You've been caring for them. You've been doing some good deeds for them just so that your light would shine around them and they wouldn't be turned off by the words you speak. I'm going to take that homework too. This week I want to share with somebody and hopefully more than even one person, somebody that needs to know, someone needs to have clarity on the gospel, what it means to enter the kingdom of God. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to share a little bit of my story. I was down here just on the boulevard. I was getting our car worked on. And uh, the person said, oh, you have a Subaru Outback. It's my wife's car. And I said, yeah, it's a great car. How do you like it? It's a great car. Oh, um, I would love, could I look inside? I said, sure. You know, so they walk out and they look, they're walking around the car. And it's, you know, it's a 2009 or 10, I don't know what. Uh, It's been a great car for us. And she's all excited. And she goes, uh, I said, would you like to sit down inside of it? And so she sits down, and she's, oh, I like this. It's nice. It's comfortable. Check out. I said, get in the back seat. Check out the leg room in this car. <laughs> and I said, what would it take to get you? No, I'm just kidding. I, just, I felt like I wanted to become a car salesman that moment. But she looked over, and she saw a book that my wife has been reading. It's a book on uh, the Lord Jesus. It wasn't the Bible, but it was a book about Christ. And, and she goes, oh, what's this? And I go, well, that's... That's a book that tells us about how we can know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I just felt like, oh, I'm just going to drop that out there. I said, I'm a Christ follower. Are you? And she got a big smile on her face. She said, I am. She was all excited. <laughs> and now that was like, I, I kind of went, oh, too bad. Anyway, I was, <laughs> I was hoping for the person that was, you know, really needing the gospel. <sighs> so those don't count. Those don't even count. You know, you got to find people that need Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. So I'm, I'm always on the prowl looking for that. But I want to I I tell you straight up, I blow that so many times. I'm quiet so many times. There's so many times where I realize, man, that would have been an easy way just to say what Jesus has done in my life. So church, let's do that because that's what Jesus is saying. John came to you preaching and living it out. And by the way, that's the second thing if you're taking notes. Uh, compelling examples. We should be compelling examples of those who are entering. We call this our example or our lifestyle. The people look at our lives and they say, there's something about you that is different. <laughs> and hopefully not different like in a bad way, you know, but, but like really compelling. I had a great illustration of this yesterday. A dear sister in our church went home to be with the Lord about a month ago, died of cancer. Young lady, uh, she was my age, very young, very young. <laughs> Janet was a dedicated Christ follower, and her service was yesterday. And right here on this platform, we had a little time of open sharing. There was about three or 400 people that came to honor her life. And there were people that came up to say some words about her. But this is what touched me so deeply There was a couple of people that worked with her. They were evidently not Christ followers. They gave no assent to being followers of Christ. But what they said is that 
Janet had lived her life in such a way that they could see that she was really, this is the words that they use, she was the real deal as a follower of Christ. They said that. She was the real deal. That tells me there are people that look at us and sometimes go, that's not the real deal. (laughs) That's the real deal. Janet's life. Because she lived in such a compellingly different way. Not a judge. Someone that loved. Someone that cared for. Someone that reached out. And someone, as others testified, who said the words of the gospel. Shared her testimony. Share what Christ had done. So, okay. Entrance into the kingdom of God, what it isn't about, it isn't about our words, whether we say yes or no. What it is about is about faith and repentance. Trusting in Christ and repenting from sin and coming after Him to follow what He tells us in our lives. And the way it all comes about in those that watch us is by our words and by our lifestyle. And that either is a message of judgment or it becomes a message that is a gateway to new life. And maybe for someone here today, it's a gateway for new life.